0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 101 of the F1 show for coverage of the Korean Grand Prix from Yongong. I think that's how it's pronounced, sort of. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim
1: Lau. And as you can probably hear, I'm a little bit under the weather now, but not so much so that we can't bring you a show following up off the epic episode 100 for coverage of the Korean Grand Prix, like you mentioned.
0: Yes, and uh, yeah, we have a Kleenex nearby for both Jim and myself, actually, but we are going to muscle through it and uh, be troopers as best as we can be. Yeah. Anyway, so starting this weekend, um, we've got the, you know,
1: back to the Korean circuit, which uh, of course last year was the first year, and it was just barely done, and you could even say not really completed by the time they started. Uh, but by, by the time they started running F one yeah, cars, on barely it last year. acceptable
0: to have cars on track, and there was complaints from the photographers about having like you know being bitten by snakes and stuff. Like it was still very swampy and very rough around the uh, edges of the track
1: yes and so now we're back a year later and it's only marginally better yeah, and that the paint has already dried because it's been sitting there for a year but apparently um, nothing went on from the close of the weekend last, we- last year to the beginning of the weekend this year uh, and at Really, literally, does seem like nothing. Uh, There were talks about, you know, even old food in the fridges in the paddock from uh, from last year and uh, and stuff like that. It just kind of, you know, sort of disappointing because it's a whole motorsports facility and what is could potentially be a cool track, although it hasn't really played out that way. And uh, to have that just not
0: used for anything else is uh, is kind of a shame. Absolutely, but I think we want to start with a couple of things that happened throughout the weekend. I think there uh, there's been some talk about uh, Robert Kubica uh, uh, between now and then, also. uh, some announcements from Force India. Uh, I, I guess the first one, the one that's more interesting to us in, in some senses, is Kubica. He, it seems like uh, the the prognosis is still similar, which is we don't know. Um, it seems like the the main functions of his hand are still there, um, but it's just the tiny little motor skills that he's still trying to build up, and there's still some uncertainty.
1: Right. Well, it must be tough, right? Because you're you know you're recovering and you know, doctors, uh, just like any other, you know, any, anyone else doing their job, I mean, they're just trying to do the right thing and try, you know, no one knows exactly, okay, well, will he be able to drive a car at this date and this time and, you know, and subject himself to these many G-forces? Of course, uh, with most people, they would probably say, okay, it's, you know, it's best to keep the stress off your body and, you know, help recover and, and do fine. So I'm sure on one side, the the prognosis is like, you know, yes, you you will get better, you will be able to have some good function in your hand, but, you know, hey, don't push it, don't stress it. And that is exactly the opposite of driving an F1 car, of course, because that's pushing and stressing your body to the maximum. So that it just has to be this decision, right, for Robert and maybe his, you know, family and manager and and so on, of, you know, how is it worth it to, uh, you know, potentially injure myself again or you know make this worse and and you know really push it, um, because that's me driving in the car again, because that's that's his life and that's what he wants to do and that's of course his career and and the whole thing, or is it like, well, is this is this the end of his F1 career? So it's uh, you know it's certainly. Outside of just kind of a medical decision, um, it really seems like that it's just sort of a, you know, down to what level of risk is he is he willing to tolerate here or kind of, you know, how hard is he willing to push it? But it sucks for the team as well because, of course, they need to make plans, right, whether it's for Kubica or anyone else. Right. And they've got deadlines and sponsors and agreements and contracts and all that to think about, and, and that is all just countered with this sort of, foggy decision of like well you know we don't know until it gets further down the road and as it gets further down the road then the, these options become more limited and it's just kind of a there's no unfortunately there's no sort of firm news it's not he's in or he's out um, but it's still just uh, you know we're we're moving forward and I, I guess I mean it's, it's it is good news to hear that Robert Kubitz is getting better certainly um, but it's sort of we still haven't really made a decision one way or another as far as his return to f1
0: yeah and it and it's got to be hard because this is all outside of the fact is we don't know whether Kuhitza will be as quick as he was before as well, um, you know. Being a year out of the car um, certainly won't help, but as Michael Schumacher has proven, it's not impossible to uh, get up to speed again. And certainly, uh, Roberts younger, and you know, still everyone thinks he's got a lot of potential, but we just don't know yet. And just like you say, it, it you you can't really. You can't really give it a shot. You really have to have a pretty firm knowledge of whether this is going to work or not ahead of time. And Renault is in a very tough position because it has two respectable drivers, but we it does not, certainly does not have a clear team leader yet.
1: Right, but both these drivers are more than just drivers in that they have... Um, from Petrov's side, it's kind of the whole the, the Russian connection with the Russian Grand Prix and money coming in from that side. And then with Bruno Senna, uh, you know, it's, of course, just the name Senna being coming back to the sport, but then, the, you know, the sponsors behind him. So, you know, what what can they do, right? I guess if they were to keep their drivers but then have Robert do some some Friday driving or some test driving for them, um, then does that mean they give the, the, the other drivers, the younger guys um, – you know, full contracts, and then if what if Robert's faster then? Well, it's like, well, sorry, Bruno, see ya. You know, we got to kick you away. Like, you know, the sponsors aren't going to want any of that kind of stuff. And um, and then if Robert is slower, then it's like, okay, well, you know, sorry, this isn't working out, but now you're done. But that means Robert can't do anything for another team. I mean, you know, it's 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 tough. It's, there's no good solution, I don't think.
0: Right, and the biggest issue really is not even just uh, who's faster, who isn't, who has sponsors, who doesn't, but who can really have the confidence to develop a car. Mm-hmm. And Kubica was one of those guys where he had a certain driving style and enough experience and enough credibility with everyone that he could really lead the development of a car and be a team leader. And he very well in the past was able to get maximum out of a car. Kind of Alonzo-esque in the Renault, in fact. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Petrov or Center are up to that, at least not yet. And the best way to get up to speed like that is to have a team leader to learn from Mm -hmm. so that means that you know uh, what yeah i mean they're kind of in a pickle because i think in terms of having a quicker driver they would have an opportunity to potentially get quicker drivers out there Mm -hmm. i don't know it's a little hard to say what the market's like but they seem to kind of have this kind of being a toro rosso situation where you know both the drivers have a little bit of experience now, now, but neither of them are experienced, you can say, and you can't have full confidence that the drivers are getting absolutely everything out of the car.
1: Yeah, and just the way that it's happened, as I think we mentioned on an earlier show, uh, the Renault seat is sort of the best potentially available seat right now uh, for, the, for 2011 to 2012. Uh, because, you know, the Red Bulls are, are everybody signed and the McLarens and the Ferraris and the Mercedes. You know, everyone else has deals right now. So yeah. that's the other side of it. It's not like there's lots of moving around as there is, you know, every couple of years. There's sometimes, you know, just kind of lots of open seats and big changes and things switching around. And uh, that's, that's just not the case. So it's also not only is it do we have, we have to figure out, you know, who we want between the two reasonable drivers we've got right now and then, and then Robert who's recovering from injuries and so on, but also any other drivers that are sort of looking to where they can move up would be, well, th- you know, they'd be in talks with Renault and all that. And uh, yeah, and so usually you have one of those drivers, like you know, that's sort of bringing a you know either money behind them or representing a country or or, or both, uh, like you know, Pastor Maldonado, you know, coming in with lots of money from Venezuelan oil companies and so on. And um, but then he's got Rubens Barrichello as a teammate to kind of learn from and and, sure. and help work sure. on. And that's clearly the experienced guy, and the and then the and then the younger guy bringing the money and so on. Uh, but yeah, having two of those guys hasn't really been been shown to work. And uh, uh, yeah, so it's. You know, unfortunately, we don't have any, any exciting news to uh, to really share with you on that. But it's just sort of you know, kind of looking forward to uh, you know just when when things come together for that team.
0: And the other thing that kind of came up that uh, I don't know much about, I have to be honest, uh, is the Force India deal.
1: Yeah, and this was a little bit weird. Um, so this was a couple weeks ago. Um, Vijay Mallya, it was it was you know in an interview, was basically um, there, there was talks of uh, the team being sold, the Force India F1 being sold. And he came out and was. In, it was. I think it was either Malia or one of the representatives of the team, but I think it was in fact Vijay Malia um, was saying, "Oh no, there's no. There, that's you know, this are. This is no basis. In fact, I think was the wording was. You know, the team is not being sold. And and then just four days later. Uh, there was an announcement that uh, a, an investment group called Sahara uh, b- bought out um, almost a majority of the team it 's like forty eight percent or something but enough that they will be they will the team will be uh, technically rebranded as sahara force india f one and it is this Sahara investment group that did in fact buy out the team so it raises a couple of questions because uh, you know Vijay Malia, of course being a you know big businessman and based in india there 's you know lots of different um, you know, deals coming and going, he's got, you know, the Kingfisher Airlines and like a lot of his sponsors have been other Vijay Malia companies. And, you know, of course, with the Indian Grand Prix coming up in just two weeks now, um, and then, you know, with Indian drivers and everything starting to become more of an issue, um, there's there have been some questions of, you know, is is Vijay Malia really, you know, the guy to to be doing that, you know, to be running the team right now? And um, you know, is he capitalizing on all those opportunities as best he can because, of course, as it happens now, there's a German and a Scottish driver in the in the Force India cars in the Indian Grand Prix, right. which just seems a little bit weird. But um, yeah, so but also, you know, who, which sponsors and which you know which other businesses and, and let alone drivers are going to be the you know waiting in line to sign up with this team being run by someone who's just for whatever reason um, really not been honest with the media of uh, you know if just days before a sale goes through. Just you know blatantly denying that, that, that that's going to happen, uh, you know who wants to be the guy who wants to work with that guy and trust him you know maybe it's not the the biggest deal in the world, but it seems like uh, you know it just doesn't seem like a good way to sort of move your team to the next level, um, especially when it's sort of you know going to be in the spotlight with everything that's going on with the Indian grand Prix coming up
0: and it was certainly a little bit odd the the way the timing worked out, and it does call into question kind of the longer term commitments of the team and the stability of the team throughout. If there's kind of some moving around, if Sahara has some different ideas of how certain things should be run, uh, things like that, it's a little bit interesting. Maybe it's simply kind of an infusion of capital and VJ is kind of like, you know what? I've spent a lot of money on this and I want to start finding a way out. It isn't panning out the way I thought it would. I mean, certainly after all, Formula One is a huge business worldwide, et cetera, et cetera, but it's also extraordinarily expensive. So for someone to come in who personally owns all the companies uh, to to make the bottom line work, to make a team profitable uh, in 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 absolution, uh, is probably really difficult, nearly impossible. If he could quantify that, you know, his own businesses were getting enough uh, marketing and value out of them that that it was a good return on investment. I mean, maybe it was simply a, a business decision. Now, what drove him to deny uh, the deal uh, of Sahara just three days before it actually happened. Who knows? It could be a simple matter of people caught wind of it before he wanted to, and it was a stipulation of Sahara's that there's no talk of it until it's done. I don't know. But,
1: yeah, I mean, we've always heard these these non-denial denials and various things, right? Anyone, any executive gets asked a question, well, what about this? You know, we've heard rumors about this and someone's like, hey, I can't comment on speculation. You know, there's lots of ways to just not say anything. You wouldn't have to say, oh, no, Sahara, I mean, oops, sorry. I mean, you don't have to, uh, uh, you know, I don't think you have to leak information that, that a buyer wouldn't want to be. I mean, I guess by, by, by saying nothing, uh, in a way, you're admitting it's going to happen, but if it is going to happen, then that's that's reality. And I don't know how that would really change anyone's behavior. So anyway, I mean, it's kind of a, I guess, behind closed doors, kind of right. inside baseball kind of deal. But it's right. just a little bit and interesting that, that that is changing around a little bit. And uh, we'll have to see, I guess, in the off season, um We are getting, you know, uh, Lotus and Lotus are trying to work themselves out and get their names changed around so that Team Lotus will be Caterham next year, and uh, and that'll be, you know, Tony Fernandez, uh, you know, Team Uh and that's Green Lotus. And then right. Black and Gold Lotus Renault, Lotus, Renault, will be just branded as uh, as Lotus. Lotus. Um, and without the Renault, because they don't, you know, whatever. It's yeah. So
0: two years ago, Renault uh, sold the majority stake of its team. And is what they've been saying is they've been trying to, like, trickle down the amount of uh, attachment they have to a team. They really just want to be a technology partner. And I wonder if part of that is, I mean, we saw that uh, to jump ahead a little bit, post-race interview with uh, Sebastian Vettel, we saw a little bit of that congratulating Renault on such a good job they did. And I think Renault really feels like twofold. One, they're going to get a lot more value about it being attached to Formula One as an engine supplier and a technology supplier. And two, boy, we'd love the Renault name to be attached to Red Bull more than its own team since they're doing so well. Uh, you know, If I was in Renault, I would want to make that I would want people to make that connection, as opposed to the um, the Lotus Renault connection, because the Lotus Renault connection doesn't make any sense in practical terms. Wait, which Lotus Renault connection? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which is part of the problem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway that that is the that is the pre race stuff. On to the race stuff. We were, of course, racing this weekend, which is awesome, and it's the Korean Grand Prix. Grand Prix which means for us Korean barbecue after this is uh, all said and done, which we're looking forward to. And uh, we actually have a – apparently Korean barbecue is popular. We have a bit of a group coming uh, to join us. Uh, Friday at the track proved to be quite wet, and I would say not terribly productive. Um, Many teams uh, in Friday practice, one, didn't even bother to go out. Uh, Ferrari and Renault, neither team set a time at all. Jensen Button went out and didn't even really set a time. Uh, you know, so didn't much, much didn't go on there. Practice two uh, became a little bit more involved, I guess, the reality that it might be a wet weekend kind of sunk in. And what was quite interesting was we saw a McLaren 1-2 at the top of the time sheets at the end of the practice, almost two seconds clear of uh, the third fastest car, Vettel, in the Red Bull.
1: Yeah, and we have seen... Red Bull commonly do that. Well, they'll be trying different fuel loads, and I mean, everybody is. It's practice, but the Red Bull doesn't usually show their hand in Friday practice. That, you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, especially earlier in the season before this whole Red Bull dominance was quite so clear, where there would be, oh, look, the Ferraris are doing well, or, oh, the McLarens, you know, even a Mercedes might, might be up there. And uh, and then at the end of the day, it was like, nope, you know, So well, they would and really come back and, and be really strong.
0: In addition to that, that was also in the wet, and it seemed to be most likely that it was going to be dry Saturday and Sunday, and it was. But in uh, uh, practice three, uh, the Saturday morning practice, McLaren was also one 2 this time Jensen Button ahead of Lewis Hamilton. So going into qualifying, it really seemed like McLaren had everybody else's number. They were, they were ready to be dominant. But uh, as we jump into qualifying, clearly uh, it was not quite that simple. Yeah,
1: it wasn't by a mile, but Lewis Hamilton did in fact end Red Bull's pole position dominance um and, and finally ended their string of fifteen pole positions in a row. Uh but uh but you know, Button was then third, so it was it was Hamilton and then Vettel and then Jensen Button and then Mark Weber. Uh, so it it wasn't by a huge margin. It was uh, uh Hamilton had a thirty five eight to uh Vettel's thirty six oh four two. Um, you know, so just, just a couple of tenths there, but uh, it was Lewis Hamilton on pole for McLaren Mercedes, which was yeah. a pretty big a pretty big deal. I mean, you know, we sort of saw it coming after, like you say, all the uh, the practice times. But um, you know, once he set that thirty five eight, um, which uh, turned out to be the only thirty five of the whole session, um, I you know, and, and Lewis was or, or Sebastian was behind him, kind of halfway around the, the track. I just sort of looked at TV. I'm like, that's it. That is pole. You know, right, that right. that has its stamp on it. Um, and then, as it happened, I think I think Vettel was actually up on that time a little bit in the first sector, but then he was way off in the second sector, right. um, and then and then you know didn't wasn't able to to bring it all back. So it was it was you know I was excited. I was like, "Cool, man! This Lewis Hamilton, you know this because Red Bulls have just owned pole position. I mean, the last you know every race this Since season, Brazil of and last of, year, <laughs> the yes. last race of Absolutely. last season, uh, it's just you know has been has been ridiculous.
0: And Hamilton specifically through sector two was shockingly quick. Yeah shockingly quick because that that is you're right that is where he really seemed to pull a lot of time and that's where it got all curvy it it was interesting to see that the mclaren seemed really strong in the curves which is usually the red bulls forte although we've had this discussion many times like well what's the red bulls forte then everything so you know it was good to see that it was so quick and it was good to see uh jensen button still in the mix too but it it, it, especially earlier in q1 q2 even then it was a little suspicious as maybe Red Bull's not quite there this weekend, the way they're managing the tires on the car, or something like that. But no, in Q three, once again, Vettel proved to be very close, and uh, Mark Weber was right there as well. So uh, in the early part of Q three, it, it looked very tight. Hamilton had had a faster time than Vettel, but only just. We were just we were talking about thousands again. Mm-hmm. So to see that uh, as close as it was was re- uh, was a lot of fun. So. Uh, the Red Bulls were split, you know, McLaren with Hamilton in first, Vettel in second.
1: Well, and, and Button was only uh, a tenth of a second behind Vettel. So that was, again, very close. And, yes. and who knows if it could have been something happened just a little bit differently one way or another. That could have been a McLaren front row. Um, but then actually Weber was was a good three, te- three tenths off Jensen's time. So it's still a you know gap back there to Mark. A little bit. Still something that's just not as fast with Mark Webber as it is with Yeah, Metal.
0: I think Webber is going to be just as happy when this year is over, frankly. Uh, then we had the Ferraris, 5th uh, and 6th. Uh, again, Massa ahead of Alonso uh, by a little bit. Uh, Nico Rosberg having a solid uh, run to 7th. And then Vitaly Petrov in 8th. And then ninth and 10th were their two Force India cars, although neither posted an official time.
1: Right, but Paul Resta ahead because he at least went out on track and then came back in. Which, Wave like, to the fans, yeah. Which, you know, like we talked about last time, Minnesota perhaps um, is enough to sort of put you as best of the non-runners, and it's just a little bit funny to us that um, you know I guess between ninth and tenth starting position does it really matter? Right, uh, is, is, you know maybe not, but uh, it is a little bit funny that you know either you know that he did that, but that Adrian wouldn't. You know, if it's like at least set some kind of a time, okay, you're not going to move up to sixth or anything, but at least you know be be ahead of your teammate. And so so Paul, I guess, got the. Just was like, yeah, I'm gonna go do a lap and he got ninth out of ten.
0: And it's part of an interesting conversation that's starting to happen because there is, a lot of the teams are really starting to question well, how much is my qual how much does my starting position matter compared to my tire management, which really starts qualifying. And you know, more and more teams are starting to look at this gamble differently. You know, uh, in Q one when Rubens was out in Q one and Pastor Maldonado went on a two, he was like, eh. I didn't want to put any more wear on my tires. He wasn't that concerned.
1: Yeah, well, I noticed even at the very beginning of Q1 when the Red Bulls went out, just saw out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, hey, those are the red-sided tires. Those are super soft that they're going out on at the beginning of Q1 for Red Bull. Right. And Which is never the case. Unusual. I mean, they'll, they'll always go out on the harder tires because they can always set a fast enough time in Q1 to not be in the bottom seven. So, you know, why waste the red-sided tires? And uh, And then that's, you know, just sort of was the first indication of like, wait, these, you know, that may not be the tire to be on. First of all, if it's a wet race, that kind of changes the whole deal around anyway. But assuming it's not, you know, it was a little bit strange to see. Okay, well, they're they're using those tires, and what it looked what looked to be the case was that the uh, the super soft tires were good, but only only after about five or six laps. It was like kind of there was this window where you'd have to kind of you know heat them up, you know, get them get them sticky, whatever, get them to work on this on this track which has been you know rained on all weekend and hasn't been used for a year. Right. And then, uh, but then they would get a good lap out of them. So. Uh, it, was, it was a little bit weird to see uh, you know even the Red Bulls starting off on the Super Soft tires and that the Super Soft wasn't necessarily the, the tire to have.
0: Certainly, and uh, that was coupled with the fact that it was also cool air temperature as well. So it was tricky conditions. Pirelli had never been there before, so there were a lot of things stacked up to make tires kind of a, a big question mark as much as anything else. Um, the other interesting thing that came out of qualifying um, was Lewis Hamilton's um, mood. Yeah, Afterwards. I mean, pole position, ending the run of Red Bull dominance, and a 26 race uh, pole uh, run for him, pole uh, drought for him. Right, and especially with everything negative that's been
1: going on lately, um, you know, with with Lewis having various crashes and visits to the stewards and all that, and uh, and so you know, the only man into the 35 second times the whole weekend. I mean, I, you expect the dude to just come out of the car and be like, "Yeah, buddy, I still got it." You know, like, "Hey, you know, everyone's everyone's been against me, but." You know, here I go, and I'm really fast. And he just gets out of the car, and just like it's just sullen. I mean, he's just at a in a
0: very bad looking mood. No reaction, no cheering to the fans, no recognition to the fans, nothing for the team. He got out of the car very calmly, put his stuff away, walked straight in to get himself weighed, walked straight over to to the interview room. The didn't didn't pull
1: his helmet off until he had to. At the, I mean, it was just like bizarre, and uh, and. You know then, into the interviews uh where where David croft was, was asking was like, "Hey, you look really down, dude, like what's going on and um he just says no no i'm I'm really happy. I got pulled in about that tone of voice, I mean just you know it, which is a little bit weird um so you know, there's been, of course, over the last, what is it, basically three, four races where there's been, just been incidents with Lewis and, and, you know, questionable calls and questionable the last, judgment.
0: The last three races especially, not only has it been Lewis hasn't been doing as well, but Jensen Button specifically has been doing much better than Lewis.
1: Right. So it's been, you know, a lot of people looking at oh well, his, you know, especially like since Singapore, I think was really, where it really came together, right? Was, oh, is his management wrong? You know, what's, he's, he's angry at the team. He's have all these issues. And... You know, I, you and I both, you know, we try not to buy too much into that or really kind of extrapolate from a couple of bad results, even a couple of back-to-back bad results, right. as to really like, oh, is Lewis, you know, is he is he unhappy? Is he going to leave McLaren? Is he going to go to Red Bull? Or is he, you know, is he going to retire? Blah, blah, blah. Like, um, you know, I think it it happens. Um, and it's certainly like once you're in uh, kind of a funk and you're trying that much harder to get out of it, then maybe you, you can, you know, more easily make mistakes. I mean, it's it's like, you know, it's just it can happen and uh, and I think you know a lot of people uh you know certainly even even shows like ours, you know you kind of need something to talk about, but you know to uh to just to keep things interesting, but we don't try to jump on the on the bandwagon quite so much as uh as some just to sort of extrapolate you know make some big deal out right. of some bad
0: results not all the time, sometimes we do, but we we do it for fun, you know we do it, and we know we're doing it even, and I think this is a great time to do exactly that because. It is So this is what I'm going to start, kind of qualify what I'm about to say by saying we don't know what was going on in Lewis's head. We don't know any background. We don't have much context of what was really going on in his head or the full explanation of why his mood was the way it was. And that And it really carried on to the end of the race as well. That being said, it is interesting to think about his interaction with the team this season and his interaction with the media this season. And to juxtaposition that with all the bad results, now this good result. And I'm kind of suspicious if Lewis may be thinking to himself, I got so much flack, so much bad press, so many people, uh, you know, being. Rude, he might consider it, and you know, wouldn't be all that unfair to say about him. Why should I be so happy and celebratory and give them what they want after I've gotten a pole position? Why should I be what they want from me? Like, I'm wondering if he kind of feels like I'm still not happy with the way the season's gone. I'm still not happy with the way the media treats me or with the way the race stewards treat me. So, I'm gonna have this good result and. Just keep it totally internalized and uh, not share it with everybody else.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, though. You know, like, what does he gain from that? I guess it's like, it's like screw you guys. Well, it's I'm, I'm not I'm not smiling. It's pouty. Right, and I guess now we're talking about him, which
0: maybe is the goal in, in a way. If maybe he's far yeah. more clever than we give him credit. Uh,
1: but, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, to me, doesn't seem like, um, I mean, if, if anything, you know, after – after last, uh, after the Japanese Grand Prix, you know, the championship is officially gone from his, you know, it's like, you know, we've known for a while with, with just with Vettel, the way, the way the points have been going yeah. and the way that it was,
0: it was gone for him in Singapore, not in Japan. He he right. was right. totally out That's in right. Singapore.
1: That's right. So after Singapore, even, um, you know, just really like, you know, whether it's his own mistakes, whether it's the team, whether it's that, you know. Darn teammate of his who keeps doing well, which is, you know, causing him yeah, trouble I'm back at the I'm not used to that. Why is that happening? You know, whatever it is, if it all just kind of came together for, like, man, it's just sort of this year really has been, you know, just really kind of falling apart for him, uh, especially with, you know, now seeing the performance of the car uh, doing well is almost underlining that point, right? Like, the car is fast enough to be on pole position, and yet, you know, sort of just ruining the, uh, the lost opportunity or whatever. Um, but... Anyway, uh, so, I mean, he's he's upset, and he's not, he's not celebrating the team. Um, you know, it's, I guess, it is what it is. You know, it's, it, we're going to move on to the, to the you know, he's got three more races. Um, the, you know, if anything, the McLaren pace against the Red Bull is as good as it's been all year. Yes. Um, and, you know, better than all year, and, you know, with this pole position, because it wasn't,
0: in this case... There was that string right towards the beginning of the European, the European uh, wing of the championship where, uh, Vettel went, I don't know, four races without winning or something. And, uh, and where the McLaren seemed both uh, Hamilton and Jensen had a win in there, and then Alonso had a win as well. Um, where the McLaren also seemed quite strong. But truly. This is one of the very few times where the McLaren truly seems the match for the Red Bull.
1: Yeah, and uh, McLaren was able to get enough fuel in the car to, to let... You always, know, helpful. And, you always, know, always helpful. Always,
0: always helpful. I'm a strong advocate of having fuel in the car. They
1: all had their watches set on the right time, so they were able to get all the all the pole running that they wanted to do. So, you know, no errors so on that side. Uh, do, you,
0: do you think Lewis is genuinely unhappy with the team still? Certainly there was a mood, uh, again... We are speculating a lot, but we know that, and we're, we, we know that this is speculation but that being said, speculate, sir. is he unhappy with the team
1: I, I mean, yes, he's unhappy, but not I, I don't think it's so much so that he's going i mean that he's going to either change teams or quit i mean he's got a contract for one um, i mean Mclaren is. You know, Lewis Hamilton just is a McLaren driver, more so than <laughs> many drivers are are associated with so many teams. I mean, you know, like, Fernando Alonso was such a Renault guy until he then, you know, moved on to Ferrari and so on. But, um, you know, since before his Formula One career, since before his, you know, his GP2 career and everything, he's just been involved with McLaren and, and dialed in. And since they, he was 10. They gave him his, his his chance and his opportunity. And partly with the way that uh, things went down when Fernando Alonso was his teammate, um, you know that I'm not sure many teams sort of like they they know he's fast um and and you know one of the fastest but I'm not sure many teams you know sort of want to deal with what is sort of shaping up to be a little bit of a basket case of 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 you know Lewis Hamilton of like yes he's fast but you know we, he can't have too good of a teammate but he's got to kind of get along well with the teammates it's like it's like a little bit you know so anyway I don't think um I mean what is he going to do I mean I don't think he's going to quit Um, Just yet, he's got he's got more to prove. I mean, especially now that 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 punk kid Vettel is a double world champion, and uh, you know (laughs) Hamilton uh, has you know come close but not quite. Um, And uh, you know, I I think I think he'll get over it. I guess is the the bottom line in in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it it'll be interesting. It if if he keeps allowing himself to go into this like dark place and get you know darker and darker, it could be an issue. But certainly. At the end of the day, you cannot read too much into this. I mean, maybe his dog died, and we just don't know, and he didn't want to talk about it. And uh, the one thing he did say that, and this was with an interview, I think, before even really the race weekend started, is that he does hope that his fam- more of his family can attend more races this year. And I think he he has kind of made these statements to kind of say you know he thinks it's up to himself to be motivated he thinks it's up to himself to have confidence he doesn't need a team around him to give him confidence he needs to have that within himself and those type of things so i think he's trying to be strong but realizes that it is tough to not have kind of a support system around him and maybe it is a little interest maybe part of it is that his dad, Anthony, is spending a lot of time in uh, the Force India garage. Maybe he doesn't have anything to, like, bounce frustrations off of. I don't know. Um, but he certainly was very defensive of his management team, and he said it was definitely the right decision. He certainly seemed to be – felt he felt like I think that his father and maybe that situation was, uh, you know, overbearing a bit, and he's glad to be free of that. But maybe now he needs to find a better balance between – nothing and everything
1: yeah well i think being managed by your father would be a, a tricky way to go because it's like you know there's sort of two different hats you'd have to wear and it's like you know i think as your father i want you to do this and this and i think this is what's best but as your manager maybe we could make more money doing this and it's sort of bouncing that a child you know and you can you know there's certainly times where you know you're going to get really you know upset and frustrated at your management team but having that also be your dad it seems like you know being able to just Um, you know, really bounce frustration off. It's just sort of a different whole dynamic. So that, you know, changing that doesn't seem to categorically be a wrong decision because you you don't see other drivers, you know, managed by their parents. You see, you see certainly other family members in the the pit areas and, and, you know, cheering their, their, you know, their sons on and those kind of things. And that's all good. But, uh, you know, as far as dealing with the business side of, of everything and interviews and media relations and all that, it just seems like it would be a little bit tricky.
0: Absolutely. And then, I mean, the other thing is there's definitely been times in the past, I think, uh, Anthony Hamilton has been on record saying, you know, I don't think Lewis should go out partying tonight, or I think even once he said something about, I don't think it's good that he has a celebrity girlfriend, these kind of things. So that seen the short skirt she wears? She's no good for him. He can do better. <laughs> so those are the kind of things where you definitely say, yeah, I, I would have a really hard time with uh, a, any family member kind of giving me... It's like, well, I am an adult, dad, you know. I, I, it's like I'm know, the one, yeah,
1: making the money. The I'm paying you to yeah, be my manager. Exactly. It's kind of a weird dynamic, yeah. So uh,
0: I, you'll have to forgive me, Jim. Uh, was there also a race today or did it end in Yes, up that five?
1: was the longest discussion of qualifying. <laughs> However, um, so yeah, we, race start, right? Lewis is in the lead uh, and, and, and Vettel is right beside him and then right behind Lewis is Button and then Mark Webber, who I'm sure is going to lose some spots in the, in the start of the race.
0: Wrong! What? Wrong! Mark Weber did not lose a position at the start of the race. In fact, at the end of the lap, he gained a position.
1: That's incredible. Yes. Well, well done, Mark. He has sorted out starts almost near the end of the season. But hey, there
0: he goes. In, in other news, hell has frozen over. Ha! 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 It's a joke about yeah. hell freezing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, Weber actually had a reasonable start. It was quite good. Uh, The top four drivers really all had a very equal start, you mm-hmm. would have to say. And but very very quickly, you could tell that Vettel was not going to let Hamilton go anywhere.
1: Right, and we've we've seen all year that the Red Bulls are really really good on light fuel and qualifying, as they've gotten almost every pole position. And the one time they haven't, they came second. You know, Um, but that more so than anyone else, they seem to just be really really good on that first lap, full fuel, coldish tires. you know, where every time Vettel's in the lead, he's been able to pull out a really good lead over, the, you know, like a second lap, even more than that. Um, and in this case, yeah, about turn three or four, um, Vettel was able to get around Hamilton and, and never look back, essentially.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And Hamilton seemed to be uh, able to keep Vettel honest for a while. And then at the beginning of the race, which was really disheartening for me, uh, Jensen seemed to be kind of falling back into his own way, old ways a little bit, where... The beginning of the race just didn't go his way he went from third place to sixth or something like that ended up being behind both ferraris along with uh mark weber and lewis and vettel and was struggling really to get around fortunately the team made the decision to uh have him pit a little bit early and usurp uh, the ferraris that way and it worked i was really concerned that it might not Especially since after he after he exited for his second just beginning his second stint he ended up right behind Rossberg mm-hmm. and uh that slowed him down for a couple of laps, but it ended up working out. And um uh so that that put Jensen back and forth. He wasn't ahead of Weber. The race, truthfully, for me, uh kind of settled into a fairly uh fairly dull pace until uh, we started getting in closer to the end. Uh, with the exception of poor old Michael Schumacher.
1: Yeah, I mean, just to... So the the start of it was lots of really close racing, and that yes. was, it was it was really nice. So, I mean, Vettel um, was able to pull ahead, but the sort of, just like in the championship, you know, Vettel out in front doing his own thing, but it was really, the action was like second through fourth and fifth, right? It was the Ferraris, it was uh, even, you know, Rosberg up there, you know, moving around. But uh, yeah, a little, so a little bit lower in the field, there was just like a little bit of bumping and bruising in the very, uh, you know, in turn one there. But... Um, yeah, just uh I guess it was about what looks like 17 or so laps in um where uh yeah, Schumacher um who started what 11th or so, I mean 12th, something it was, was he started 12th,
0: yes. Not
1: not a great spot. Um had moved his way up uh you know several positions uh, but then just was essentially taken out by a a, a Black Lotus Renault missile of uh, of Vitaly Petrov just uh, sliding into him and, uh, and deranging his rear wing and rear wheels, and it was you know pretty immediately day done for, uh, for Schumacher.
0: Yeah, please feel free to insert any Cold War-related jokes uh, right in that uh, comment. Uh, the, the, the thing that was really a shame was that uh, Petrov at the time was racing, I believe, Fernando Alonso. He was racing one of the Ferraris and actually being quite competitive at the time, mm-hmm. but essentially outbraked himself and got into the uh, dirty part of the track, because, you know, Marbles have been building up pretty badly at Korea and just completely locked up his fronts. And through his own admission, ran into Schumacher, completely his own fault, Petrov's fault. And Schumacher uh, couldn't have done – it was nothing Schumacher could have done. Right. Um, Schumacher was interviewed. He was very, very, very diplomatic about the whole thing. Uh, you know, I, he basically, I think, has proven, if nothing else, upon his return that he himself feels like he has nothing to prove. Because he's like, that's racing, these these things happen, whatever. Now, you know, I don't know all the details, but, you know, that's how it goes. And he was not upset at any mean by any means.
1: And even the the interview question was sort of like, you know, you've gotten together with a couple of cars. And even Petrov specifically, almost as though he's going to be like, yeah, I hate that guy or something. And he's just like, well, you know what? Our cars have similar pace, so we end up next to each other pretty often. And, you know, we've had some really good races. And the downside of that is that every once in a while we're going to touch and something's going to go wrong um but but hey that's the way it goes and sometimes it's my fault and sometimes it's his fault in this case it's his fault but you know whatever so it goes and which is like the most reasonable thing i think anyone could say right yes. i mean it's 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 like an actual it's not an it's not a stupid well it's not over till it's over answer you know one of these kind of you know nonsense media interview answers um but it's not this you know some oh i hate him or oh this is terrible and the problem is with the officials and the blank the flag should you know it's just like hey you know what this is why it happened and it, whatever it's it's the deal So maybe Lewis Hamilton needs to take two years off and then come back and he'll just be like, you know, whatever.
0: Three years, actually.
1: Yeah, that's right. Crash into Massa, eh, whatever. It happens. He's a good guy. Love him. You know? (laughs) Like yeah, so I mean, so Schumacher was really reasonable. And and then Petrov was just like, yeah, man, I you know, I overcooked it and was on the brakes and you know, out of control and sorry for Michael.
0: So Lewis, you've heard it here first. Here's your strategy. Win six more championships, Mm -hmm. retire. Yep. Three seasons, come back. back, It'll be sweet.
1: In a bit of a slower car. You won't really be going for wins but it'll just be kind of for you'll the fun of it you'll just be happy to be there you'll have plenty of money you will have proven yourself you'll be fine um, but and then the the last outcome of that uh, whole situation is that petrov uh does get a 5 grid spot penalty for the next race in india um, uh, you know which is uh in line with if you remember tonio Liuzzi's uh you know off and then becoming a projectile into the field at Monza. Ma- at uh-huh. um and he was you know docked 5 grid penalties which was from 22nd um, back to 22nd or 24th, Twenty fourth yes. you know, so yeah, he would have started 29th, right? But, uh, you know, so he started last anyway. Um, for Vitaly, that does make a difference because these are guys that every once in a while break into Q3, you know, high Q2s. I mean, he, was, he started eighth today. I mean, Petrov did. So um, that is uh, actually a penalty for them. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, if you think about uh, Michael Schumacher's uh, crash in Singapore, that there was no penalty for that. I mean, is that because he's Michael Schumacher, uh, or you know kind of it, it is a little bit of a different treatment um, It's
0: different stewards and
1: all that, but uh.
0: agreed and I think if, it were, if for me personally i don 't think that Petroff really deserved a penalty here uh, It really was a racing incident I, it wasn 't anything flagrant that Petrov did it 's not like the movie he was trying to make on Alonzo was completely unrealistic or anything like that. I think it's perfectly reasonable to get caught in. Uh, the marbles, is not fully expecting what he expected. So, I think the five grid spot penalty uh, was unreasonable for Petrov uh, in the in this case. Just as I thought, it was reasonable that Schumacher didn't get one in Singapore. Yeah, that's and my personal. It, and the thing
1: opinion. with with Liuzzi's, as as we were talking about before the show, is is that was more of an unrealistic move and he, he blamed it on kovalainen saying oh kovalainen went out to the outside yeah. and looking at the video it's like well, no it was just kind of the way everything was shaking lucy was all over the place and yeah he was he was all over the place and just not willing to accept any blame which is the total opposite of petrov being like yes this was my fault and i was trying to make this move and whatever and you know again the bottom line with petrov is that he didn't gain anything from it this was not that he knocked out a competitor and went on to do do better i mean i i think you know the, the hardest, you know, the biggest penalty for them, right, is, is just a, a DNF uh, when you're, you know, with a, you know, starting in the top 10 and then DNFing um, is, uh, is, you know, is a penalty in itself. So I feel like, you know, the team already knows, hey, that wasn't the right thing to do. And in that situation, let's let's try to be a little bit more cautious. The five grid place uh, penalty doesn't, isn't, isn't really what they need to drive that point home, I think.
0: Right, exactly. And the only other retirement out of the race was Pastor Maldonado, who had an engine failure on lap 30. Uh, now. I don't feel that uncomfortable with saying Sebastian Vettel uh, had control of the race basically from the beginning to the end and went on to win the race. Yay, Vettel. Uh, Let's talk about the race for second place, if you don't mind.
1: Right. Well, looking at the lap chart, um, it's it's Hamilton and then Weber basically once he got around Button um, was just kind of around right behind Hamilton and uh, they went on, cycled through pit stops and finished the race that way. Which p- misses all the really, really interesting, super close, great racing that happened between them. Yes. For most of the race, I mean, certainly like the last half, um, which was, you know, some really good moves and some some really pretty wild
0: racing from from both of them. Uh huh. Uh huh. Wow, that does on the lap chart look way more boring than it actually right. was, does it?
1: Right. Because as they cross start finish line every time. Uh, you know, uh Hamilton was ahead. But uh so you know, as as it happened, you know, Hamilton, you know, couldn't couldn't stay around Vettel. Um, you know, couldn't couldn't hang with him quite, so he was falling back a little bit. Uh Weber was there and uh in doing well and kind of, you know, gaining on him. Um I think, you know, the in race pace, it did seem like you know Weber just had the faster car and, and
0: well Weber certainly had the faster car. he just could not find a way around hamilton
1: right and then uh and then hamilton's tires were starting to go off, and there was you know a couple of moments there and uh just looking at the tires they were like looking starting to you know get pretty ragged um and and so then you know they ended up doing uh yeah, so so first off uh, in the first round of pit stops, uh Weber pitted first and so then, you know f- fell back in the order, um, and then actually had to work his way around uh you know, Al Gashwari was up in there for a while and, and Massa and whatever, but um the uh but on the second round of pit stops um, you know the tires are really getting nasty and weber is right there and he's got his nose in at different moments they're right within Durr's range Yeah, hamilton's
0: um, doing everything he can to keep weber from getting around
1: and and they're sort of in the the, the commentators were looking at it saying you know Ham- like the hamilton like the car is clearly going off what you should really do now is pit the car and get new tires and not risk you know f- flying off the road or crashing into weber but still you know you'll you'll do fine like you know the, you, it's only a matter of time till weber passes you anyway so you might as well just you know just let him by now, and right. and pit the car. Um, and Weber or Hamilton just did not. And of course, you know he's got his own. He's got his own mind. His team's talking to him more than more so than he wants, and all that. But uh, you know, Hamilton is, is just going on and did not let him
0: by. And eventually pulls into the pits. He does pits, and shockingly, Weber's right behind him in the pits, and that proved to be the decision of the race that kept them from a one-two. I would say personally, right.
1: And, and if if Weber had just stayed out one extra lap, I mean he clearly had more pace and his if, even if his tires were going off, it really uh, you know would have been very very surprising if he didn't have the pace to still get you know just enough ahead of of uh, of Hamilton on the pits that uh you know he'd be able to come in and come out and do a pit stop of course Red Bull's fast at those, and having you know being right in right behind someone else in the pit lane um you know is, is can just kind of sl- you know slow you down anyway if you have to you know hold your release until the, this car's out in the pit lane or whatever. Um, it's it's just much more of a risk um, pitting on the same lap as your rival. Yeah. That, and, it's and,
0: a lot easier to cover for Hamilton and McLaren to cover Weber in that situation.
1: Right, and it's, so it's anyway. Uh, you know, Hamilton pulls into the pits. Weber pulls into the pits right behind him. They both change tires. They both come out in that same order and um, and continue to race this right. tight race. So it's you know neither one backs off because of course Hamilton is just doing getting everything he can out of that car and uh and, and weber is just doing the same with him and just trying to find a way around um he uh, a few laps later uh weber does get around uh, you know and and for about three or four corners he's he's in front and then hamilton gets into the dirt zone is able to you know he's, he's able to hold with him uh hit the drs and, and repass weber i mean it was really close racing lots of you know scary you know moments of oh they're getting you know this is this is all gonna end in tears and uh and and you know there was uh, certainly you know a chance of that um we didn't really mention but there was there were actually a few raindrops early in the race which was all sort of like oh is this going to mess with the whole strategy and is this going to be enough to mess anything up which didn't really amount to anything but you know just the the you know some good side by side racing that uh yeah ended up where Hamilton was only just able to hold off uh, Weber and, and, like we mentioned, you know, come second place with Weber in third.
0: And it wasn't even just that, right? As this kept going on, Jensen Button, who had a couple of dicey things and kind of had an early race kind of not go his way, caught uh, this uh, Hamilton Weber battle and at times was starting, got within the DRS zone of Weber, really started challenging Weber, but just for whatever reason, couldn't consistently catch up and really become a part of that race for second place. He was always just a little bit over a second behind the two of them racing, over a little over a second behind Weber. And at the same time, uh, Alonzo was catching button. So before we knew it, we had the four people that were in the hunt for second place in the championship in the hunt for second place in the race. Realistically, it was really mostly Weber and Hamilton fighting for second and uh, Button and Alonso fighting for third. And uh, the Button and Alonso fight wasn't nearly as uh, nail biting as the Weber Hamilton fight, but all the same, it was interesting to see, for me at least, I really appreciated to see how close and pace these cars really could be in race conditions. And that bodes well for an exciting champion, exciting races for the next three. Um, and uh, barring Vettel's consistent dominance, uh, could even be fun for predictions.
1: Yeah, and so...
0: <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the, the whole Vettel
1: dominance thing is, is exciting and all, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's getting a bit repetitive. And, of course, we've seen every once in a while, right, when two cars battling, uh, you know, as in... Uh, Alonso, are in, uh, as in Hamilton and Weber, that maybe something crazy can happen. Maybe Button can find his way through and pass both of them, or you know, at yeah. least they're slowing each other down. And maybe when there's lap traffic, you know, there's always that chance of this kind of this leapfrog. Um, there's not really a chicane in Korea. There's 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 a couple sort of like I guess you could call it like a big chicane, you know, but it is a proper set of corners, and that's usually where uh, things come a little bit unglued when there's a really tight battle one guy's being really defensive to try to just right, you know, block right. the other line and then there's just you know this kind of other way of just getting more speed and carrying that through and being able to sort of pass two guys at a battle each other some or something yeah some some craziness that happens and uh, so we were sort of you know you certainly were really like waiting for that kind of opportunity to come for Button and just really make something special and uh, it just did not happen so i think uh, credit to hamilton for driving just right on the edge of what was possible. I think, he drove with the, brilliantly with the car and the He tires. drove brilliantly, absolutely. And not giving up, but also not not being stupid and and you know, turning into uh, into Weber to be to really force an issue or anything like that. And good job for Weber to, to work within that. I mean he he tried but again wasn't wasn't stupid and, and uh, was able to make it work.
0: I'm not trying to knock Massa here specifically per se, but I have to say that was multiple laps of very close racing between Hamilton and Weber. They did pass each other once or twice. They were very close many times. No one touched anybody. Right. Just saying. I'm just saying. It is possible. <laughs> Even with Lewis Hamilton. So uh, there was that, and uh, they ended up, just like you said, they ended up finishing Hamilton in front uh, in second, uh, Weber in third.
1: By .4 seconds behind him at the finish line. It was, yeah, it's very close.
0: Jensen grabbing fourth uh, place and uh, Alonso in fifth. And uh, going on down, uh, Massa was in sixth. And then uh, Al Goswari ended up passing Nico Rosberg to finish seventh. A very, very good race for him. Nico still respectable to get some points in eighth. Uh, the other STR, Bohemian, in ninth. And Paul Duresta collected a point for tenth for the Force India Mercedes.
1: Yeah, and the other uh, uh, mentions, um, Pastor Maldonado did have a, yeah, you say an engine, uh, engine failure in retirement there. Nothing spectacular, but just pulled into the garage and stopped. But, uh, Heike Kovalainen, uh, came 14th in the Black Lotus Renault, so that's, you know, doesn't sound like much, but it's a good result for them, you know, they were only one lap down, um, which, uh, you know, was not bad in the safety car in the middle of the race, sort of helped with that for sure, but, um, you know, ahead of both Saubers, which is bad news for the Saubers and/or good news for the uh, for the Green Lotus team, depending on uh, how you look at it.
0: Well, okay. So here's a question for you. I want to talk about both the racetrack itself and the championship standings. Would you, which one would you like to talk about first? Let's or? talk about the racetrack. Okay, not good. I not agree. very good at all. Okay, the championship. <laughs> well, okay. So there's one thing specifically I want to point out about the racetrack that is especially egregious. Um, Pit in, pit out. Yes. Uh, we saw an incident between uh, Michael Schumacher, or was it Nico Rosberg? I think it was Schumacher and Jaime Agoswari. Oh, I think it was Rosberg, but okay. Okay, Rosberg and Jaime Agoswari. Yeah, Rosberg sounds right. And uh, basically, the, the pit exit is right smack in the middle of where a car that runs a little wide in turn one would be. Uh, if they run wide, so it, it's, it's, it's a extremely, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for dangerous part of the track to be on it. it It's much more likely to cause incidents and there's no, uh, there's no clear run up to get up to speed. It, it was, it's just poorly done. And to design a racetrack from the ground up, this track is brand new as of last year. And to not have thought about that is pretty bad. And I have to just also say that the pit in isn't much better. I was just
1: going to say that, yeah. So you're coming around a a, a right hander, which last year was almost a blind corner with where the fencing and stuff was, and then you don't know, and it's right at basically the apex of that corner is either pit in or you or you go out and you know and you track out to the outside of the track for for you know the racing line. So as you're coming around that corner out of turn 16 and through turn 17. Um, as last year, it was blind. You don't know if someone is slowing way down to get into the pits there, or if everyone's just carrying out of their way, and you can just you can just you know barrel through there. And uh, so they actually changed the fencing around so that you could see around the corner a bit better. But like you say, for a band aid fix like that, I mean, this isn't this isn't Monaco. There's not buildings that have been there since forever, and we're not working within some ridiculous constraints. I mean, it's a swamp. They made it on this random little piece of land yeah, in the middle of nowhere. It's a big hunk of flat land. Um, they really could have have made it any way that they want. And, uh, you know, I, and I agree, you know, the, with the way the, uh, it is an anti-clockwise circuit or counterclockwise for our American fans. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, just the way that, uh, the pit in, so the pits on the outside of the track, okay, which is a little bit different from a lot of them, which are inside. And, um, yeah, so instead of the, you know, if the cars were to come in at the inside of of turn one, first of all, that's, you know, the the competitors, you know, competitive cars are going to be going slower there. But usually if you kind of come in, you're going alongside the track through the first part of the corner. And then like by the time you are up to speed coming out of the pits and the normal guy in his racing line is at a similar speed coming out of a slow corner, then you sort of merge into traffic and that's okay. And that's how it works at a lot of circuits. But this way, the pit is on the outside of the track. So you're, you're, you know, just trying to get up to speed right where they are just on the fast exit of a corner and then into another one it's just it's just awkward all the way around
0: yeah the only thing i can think of to really fix it and even this really isn't a great fix is to put some kind of barrier between you know the pit entrance and the you know make the turn 1 corner itself less road tighter and kind of build yourself a little wall barrier between that and make the pit exit its own lane coming around turn 1 and you kind of exit then more on the inside of turn 2 or you can go the Abu Dhabi route and build a bridge, And go kind of through a tunnel and up and around. And but the thing is, it's a bloody swamp, and the water table is probably you know eight inches beneath the uh, surface of the road. So it's just, it's just crappy, and it led to some uh, odd, odd um, uh, pit exits. Um, you know, Jensen Button v. Rosberg uh, after you know their first pit, and also Maldonado got a penalty because he exited the pits ahead of the bollard because that was the one thing they could use to specify the end of pit road, which was just asinine. Well, that
1: I think was even pit entry that, that was the, the Maldonado penalty was actually on the on the pit in. But yeah, so the, the other thing about, you know, normally there's that, that blend line, right? of Where you can exit the pits, but you have to stay within the the white painted line until until it ends and then you're free to go on back to the racing line. And that's kind of just so, you know, help everyone see each other and you're going to similar speed and then you can you can merge into do your thing. And, Here, there's about, I think, about two feet of solid painted line, and there's a cone right there, and then there's this dashed line, which is sort of like, you can drive over this, but it's the pit exit, so it's not the normal rules of you can't cross the line, because you kind of have to cross the line to get set up for turn two, and, you know, and, you know, we noticed uh, during the pit stops that basically every car was driving over that solid, that little piece of solid line, and just going past this cone, so it's like, they just had to kind of change the way that the, you know, pit out blending rules are. Uh, for this track, which is just sort of silly for for something like this, you know, like you say, for a brand new track.
0: So aside from the pin in pin out nonsense, there's also the racetrack itself, which just seems a little bit overdone. It just there's just too many corners that are than there should be. You know, it, it 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 just becomes a burden. It becomes work. It doesn't. It's not nearly as much of a wow. What a great flow you build up and stuff like that. I have to say, I do really enjoy. Kind of the last curvy left right, left flat section leading on to the to the main's front straight, but there 's just after turn three there 's just a whole lot of nonsense going on that i 'm not really sure uh, is is beneficial to the fans or the drivers yeah,
1: well, I kind of like um, this like six seven eight into nine because it 's a fast flowing section, and that 's something that is a lot just for whatever reason seems to be a lot harder to put together a nice fast flowing section than lots of like little tight. Oh, you know, straight into a chicane, into a straight into a chicane, like a Valencia style, which is like with twenty-eight corners. I mean, this right. is it's eighteen turns here, um, as as it's laid out. Um, so there are some moments where you're like, oh, this is kind of cool, but that's only just for a few corners, and then it's kind of broken up again. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, you know, there is there's this, the front straight, you know, where start finishes, is actually um, not that long, but then it's after turn two, um, which is which is you know this kind of sweeping uh, left hander onto the onto this second straight, we'll call it, because it's not really the back straight. <laughs> Um, you know there there is a, a you know middle of the track a pretty long straight and then a, and then a tight corner and another straight so it's it's like on paper it kind of looks like it's got some potential and there's a couple of complexes that come together but not kind of the magic of a really nice racetrack where it all just kind of flows together and, and right. you end up with um, you know naturally giving itself to make, to a, some exciting racing I mean I guess we can't fault it too much right if we had this the this Hamilton Webber battle that went on and on and it wasn't you know that the track wasn't you know Disabling them from, from having a good battle um, You know, it wasn't, you know There are some opportunities and we're able to pass and pass back So I guess, you know, it's not It's certainly not the worst of tracks uh, in terms of just the track itself But once you get, you know Inches from the edge of the track In any direction, it's it's like back to swamp I mean, it's almost what we saw last year Where the track wasn't completely done But, you know, there were lots of grandstands Which, uh, some of which were Completely empty, just made up into giant signs That said, right. hey, Korean Grand Prix, look at us Isn't that like, great? Um, with with not a single spectator in them the the stands that did have spectators um the front straight one was what maybe 50 or 60% full and then some of right. the other, some of the other ones around the track the the ones that did have people in them might have been 10 or 20 or 20% full right i mean it's just it's way out from anything um and you know i guess the the weather didn't help that it was like oh maybe it's going to rain and so on but it's just one of these races that um you know, in a boardroom, made so much sense. Oh, it's it's Korea. There's so much going on in the market and everything in Korea. They're you know becoming the new Japan, and all this manufacturing and the auto industry, and all these things are coming coming together. And you know, we need to race in Korea. And but as an actual like venue, and in terms of, I'm sure there's lots of you know Korean fans that are really geeked about F1, but not to the
0: same level as just so many other countries.
1: And uh right,
0: well, and clearly they they just don't have they don't have tons of uses for this place. I mean, if they if they lock the place up. And then say, "Okay, we'll see you next year." That's that's not beneficial either. I mean, when I when the Korean circuit first came to be, I mean, there were plans of building like a massive city built around this track. There was going to be condos and you know all kinds of really fancy buildings and things going on all around this track. And it was it was almost going to be like a false city course, the way they planned on building racetrack first, then city around it, and not necessarily a live-in city. Like, uh, oh, we're going to build Detroit here. But it's going to be, you know, like a very active, you know, multi-use facility with many, many, uh, you know, different luxury and and consumer-based things to do other than just the racing. It was just going to be very cosmopolitan, I guess you could say. And a
1: cool, yeah, like sports complex, right, with other stadiums and sort of like, hey, we've got this venue where it's like lots of people can come here. We've got all the infrastructure for everyone and, you know, the parking and vendors and the whole deal. And, uh, yeah, whether it's for a race. Um, And and just looking on the the website here, they're talking about, you know, they wanted to make it a uh, uh, return of the Korea Super Prix, um, which was for 2011, Formula 3, and some other ones. But, um, yeah, it's just not – not ending up, you know, being, uh, as, as exciting as they want it to be. And granted, of course it hasn't been the best few years for the world economy and finding all this money to make a motorsports complex, maybe quite a bit harder now than it was previously, but it is, it is kind of a shame that, um, you know, there's not enough of a draw to get people out into this remote area. Um, and that the race, you know, it's, it's certainly not the worst race of the year or anything, but, uh, you know, that it's, it's not a track that we're super excited about on the whole, um, you know, and compare that with, uh, You know, circuit of the americas which of course is is sort of a you know was that even you know kind of is can this race come together can they get the sponsorship can they get the money can they get the city approval and all the stuff and some questions about whether that can all happen and once that was approved it was not only formula one which of course is the headliner for the whole track but they've got moto gp coming to the circuit of the americas in texas they've got uh you know v8 supercars they've got other other support races other things they've got us yeah, I mean, that's going to be, be a there, big thing. But, you know, building, uh, you know, some some technical facilities there because it makes good sense for engineering companies to be based at a racetrack because then they can go out and test at the track and have driving schools and this whole this whole system around it. Um, I mean, if you go to Las Vegas Motor Speedway and you go you, as you're driving in, there's just acres and acres and acres of buildings for driving experiences and schools and, and you know, all kinds of different, you know, just engineering and, uh, you know, technology uh just gambling. There's probably
0: several casinos right there too.
1: That's not even. It's actually all about all about motorsports. It's all about being attached to the track, and it's that's that's what you should go for. Is is a uh, an environment where it makes sense to to do that. And even in uh, Dubai, they've got that whole complex where there's the
0: well. The Dubai racetrack. is nuts. I mean that's a whole another level. Oh no, no, no. I'm thinking of Well, Abu Dhabi, I'm thinking of which Abu is Dhabi, also the same way because which is that the same was way, yeah. they had
1: all the money and that was a couple of years ago. Um, but even yeah, Dubai is this whole motorsports complex and there's there's this karting and there's there's you know yeah, you can live there and there's there's a whole there's a whole, you know, several reasons to go there and several exciting things to do once you're there, not just like we've got this race track out in a field way far away from everything.
0: Yeah. So, I guess I think we've exhausted that and I think you know how we feel about it. Now, I want to talk about the championship. Yes. Let's start with the Constructors' Championship. Uh, Officially, Red Bull clinched the Constructors' World Championship. Oh, that's crazy because it was so close. I wasn't sure how it was going to It was really tight. Now, technically, McLaren has not clinched the second place in the Constructor, but it is very similar to uh, the way Vettel left it after Singapore. It's basically going to be McLaren in second. There's 111 points left on the table, and uh, McLaren is 108 clear of Ferrari. Ferrari has effectively clinched third. And uh, beyond that, I didn't pay as close attention. But I think fourth is pretty much uh, pretty much uh, uh, determined as well. Now I feel a bit stupid to not have it in front of me. I had it, I thought,
1: memorized. Fourth is Mercedes, and that is, they're not going anywhere, 127 points. Behind them, uh, Renault, Renault, black Renault. Um, then Force India, you know, and then a the pretty big gap back to Force India. So Force India and Sauber are nine points apart, so that could change. So that's the tight one. But it's not... and Well, I guess in uh, Sauber and STR are only three points apart. That is actually, you know...
0: And STR was looking quite good today, both cars in the points.
1: Yeah. Um, and then then it's five points for Williams. Man, that's what a disappointment for Williams. Five points on the season's almost done. Oh, well, they're going to
0: have Raikkonen next year, dude. And it's going to be a whole new season next then, year.
1: And uh, then Green Lotus, HRT, and Virgin, still zero points altogether. But yeah, so it's really... Um, First is officially clinched. Second is all but so with McLaren. Then Ferrari, Mercedes, Renault, and so the only real action is I guess the six, seven, eight, which is Force India, Silber and STR.
0: Which I'm sure they're gonna battle for hard because there is big differences in money there. You know, you know, you get more money uh, being the sixth in the constructors championship than eighth, that's for sure. Um to the drivers championship, you know, uh, Vettel just, you know, now collecting more points just to you know, put a stamp on it. I guess you could say he now has 349 points. Uh, Jens Button is still in second place, and this is where the real battle begins with 222. is now Alonzo, Alonzo still in third with 212. Mark Webber nipping at Alonzo's heels with 209. And Lewis Hamilton still in contention, but now uh, it's starting to look a little bit more challenging for him with 196 points. So those guys are all effectively fighting for second place in championship, second through fifth. Massa's kind of on his own in sixth, although Nico Rosberg, if he has a couple of really good results and Massa has a couple of really bad ones, he could be there because seventh and eighth is Rosberg with 67 points and Schumacher with 60. Um, And uh, another point I'll bring out since we're talking about these two is, compared to last year, much, much tighter Rosberg v. Schumacher. Yeah. And that includes Schumacher's uh, DNF today. That was totally outside of his, you know, that was uh, nothing he could do about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, it's come together a bit better for him.
0: So what do you think? Who are you liking for second in the championship?
1: I was actually surprised to see that Alonso is uh, still ahead of Weber. It's only by three points now, but that's, you know, what a difference. Vettel's 349 points to Mark Weber's 209. That I mean, forget about the point values because, of course, it's this 25 points for the win like it never has been before. But even just, um, you know, the percentage difference or whatever. Oh, yeah, two-thirds the points. Um it's you know that's a it's a very big difference, but um, I don't know. I mean, I guess we there's something in the whole McLaren team seems to be uh, that only one guy, one of their drivers, can do well in any given weekend, right? If Hamilton's on pole and is like looking really racy, then Button's going to have to drop back to sixth, or if if Button's doing really well, then Hamilton's going to have issues and get really frustrated.
0: And this race really wasn't all that bad. Second and fourth, uh, pretty decent, but just Button's form has been so good recently. It was a little bit of a disappointment to see him there. Yeah. But, I,
1: I mean, certainly I think the easy choice is, is Jensen Button because he's in the lead right now. It's, it's by 10 points over Alonso, but that's, that's still a significant number of points. And um, it also
0: seems, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you and an add that it also seems like the McLaren car in general is quicker than the Ferrari and uh, seems to at least have the pace of Weber, even if it doesn't necessarily have the pace for Red Bull.
1: Well, that's great because you interrupt me and then say what I was going to say anyway. So you well, just, brilliant. You, you've saved me some time.
0: Hey, hey, that's what I'm here for.
1: There you go. Uh, so I, it's, I think I think Jensen Button's going to look well. I, th- I think Hamilton. I I hope he continues to do well, um, if only for the sake of him and those around him and his happiness. But uh, it's you know 196 points down. You anyway, know, yeah, he could if he were to win, and you know Jensen were not to score any points. I mean, yeah, that's still close enough that it can change. But uh, I you know I, I I think with Alonso and Weber and Button, they're not all going to not get any points.
0: A DNF by any one of those guys could you know change things significantly especially if Button were to get a DNF uh you know that that could make things much tighter very quickly i personally certainly hope not uh, i guess i don't want any of them to get a DNF really except for Vettel um but <laughs> mostly for the statistical model's sake uh but uh, yeah interesting to see and uh, it will be be funny to see you know Felipe Massa has kind of been hanging out in sixth in the championship for basically two years straight now and It'd be interesting to see if he, he gets threatened at all it doesn't look like it i'd say it's about as likely as Hamil, uh, hamilton you know jumping right to second at this point but it's it's possible mm. anyway i guess we've talked enough
1: yeah i think uh let's let's move forward we do have uh plenty to talk about coming up with the inaugural indian grand prix coming up and we've got some some thoughts and observations on that but in the meantime let's do some feedback <music>
0: Okay, so it is just moments passing for you, but for us, we took a few minutes to update, um, update ourselves on a couple of things and um, just got the news that Dan Weldon, an English driver that's been driving in the IndyCar series for several years now, on and off more recently, but uh, most recently, uh, winner of this past year's Indy 500 uh, has died due to injuries sustained in a car crash at the las vegas uh, motor speedway event indycar event that was happening today so that's gonna kind of change the tone of the remaining of this podcast a little bit i think
1: yeah it was uh the season finale for indycar and uh you know they're going along and apparently it was a 14 car crash but we haven't seen the details on it. i just went to check twitter to look for our feedback and so on uh in, in preparation for this and just i mean couldn't couldn't help but see all these articles and uh Everything apparently is just moments ago that, that, uh, that just happened. So uh, that race has actually been abandoned. They're doing, a f- they're doing five laps in his honor. Um, so I don't know what that all means for the IndyCar Series, but that doesn't really matter in, in comparison to... Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously Dan had you know, a young, young child and, uh, and his family and so on. So our thoughts go out to uh, you know, everyone involved really there and certainly the Weldon family.
0: Uh, definitely uh, to everyone involved um, with Sam Schmitz Motorsports, the Weldon family, and uh, truly uh, everyone in England who... Um, you know, I'm sure supported Weldon i it, it it's it's really tough because uh, you know the IndyCar series is a very dangerous series and you know they have unlike Formula One uh have continued to have the uh, occasional death. Um you know Greg Moore died in nineteen ninety nine. Um we had um oh God I'm gonna kick myself here. We had another Tony Renna uh Yes, and then we had um, uh, someone practicing. It was around 2007 uh, for the Indy 500, passed, and um, who worked at Auto Week. By the way, he was an Auto Week uh, uh, editor.
1: Paul Dana at Homestead, and, March 2006 in practice. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and um, so now more recently, Dan, it's it's uh, it, it's tough because you know you, you don't want to stop the racing, but it is very high speed and you know there's walls right at the end of the track so uh, there's only so much So there's only so safe i guess you can get when you're
1: going and they were going 225 miles an hour yeah. in practice at vegas motor speedway i mean that is you know as as you know i mean there's a there's a big difference between you know 100 and 150 or whatever but from 200 um, i mean how quickly things happen at 200 miles an hour let alone 210
0: 220 but 225 yeah. is really and not pretty amazing and not like formula 1 where you kiss 200 miles an hour at the at the top of the main straight, but, uh, sustained, you know, sustained average speeds over 200 miles an hour in places. And, uh, you know, any car champ car before it and Indy car before that, um, has had faster tracks and had, had higher sustained speeds, but Las Vegas track is a very, it's a, it's a smaller track. It's not, it's not a two and a half mile oval like India's for example. Yeah. And, um, so it, it's it's tough. It's really difficult. Um, he uh, Dan Weldon was a, a part of uh, the Andretti uh, Motorsport team for a long time. He had a lot of success um, there and uh, was uh, was close friends with uh, Dario Franchitti and uh, Brian Herta and uh, Tony Canon and uh, then went on to Chip Ganassi. Had a stint at um, Panther Racing uh, with National Guard sponsorship, and then more recently he's kind of been in and out of rides. And kind of put something together for this Indy 500 and, you know, went went and won the race after uh, James Hinchcliffe just couldn't quite hold on right the last lap. And uh, then he became the uh, lead development driver for the 2012 IndyCar um, program. And now this specific race was um, he was going after a $5 million purse. And uh, so, you know, things were kind of looking like uh, his career was getting a second wind. And you know he he's had a lot of success here in the in the states, and you know uh, especially more recently was a uh, certainly uh, one of the fan favorites, which is a little weird to say because you know at some level you really uh, fans appreciate everybody, but you know he yeah. was... he's
1: you know, 33 years old too. I mean plenty of uh, certainly you know plenty of time to uh, to continue to continue and do well in, in racing, and well that may be. I mean that's not even old by Formula One standards these days. I mean it, yeah. it certainly yeah. used to be, but uh yeah, it's certainly certainly a sad incident. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, like you said, the only, I guess, uh, solace we can take is we're not in the midst of some goofy, you know, what song does some, some somebody remind you <laughs> of a show? I mean, it's like... Yeah, that, the the,
0: the Robert Kubica uh, accident following our such a, yeah, podcast was a bit of a shame.
1: Such a quick reminder, though, of just kind of what we're dealing with.
0: Yeah, and, and how uh, fragile it really is. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, in honor of dan and respect for that and just kind of our mood now maybe uh we'll just uh we'll let maybe let the show end here and maybe pick it up again uh when we get to india and um you know have a little bit more time to reflect and kind of pick pick ourselves back up and get back into it again but frankly uh really don't care how you predicted or how i predicted um or anything like that right now
1: yeah it's uh certainly sort of a, a you know Side way to end the show, but it's, I mean, yeah. What are you gonna do?
0: Yeah. So uh, uh, once again, um, you know, IndyCar driver Dan Weldon, he he died in an accident, and uh, I don't know why I'm repeating again like it's live radio, but uh, uh, so uh, it, again, uh, our uh, thoughts uh, go out to uh, you know certainly the Weldon family and everyone involved.
1: And if you've got anything to uh, to say about this or our our show or anything you want to add to the conversation, uh, please visit f1show.com, and there'll be you know certainly we'll be talking about this on the Facebook page and on Twitter and everything else. And uh, there's there's links to everything else from there. And of course, if you've got uh, anything you want to share with us moving into episode 102 and coverage of the uh, you know first ever Indian Grand Prix, then certainly uh, join the conversation there, and we'll be we'll be there over the course of the next two weeks.
0: Yeah, and uh, n- n- worry not, uh, uh, predictions lovers. I'm, I'm, Jim and I will. Before the, before the uh, next race, we will, we will collect ourselves and get the predictions out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I guess uh, until then, um, uh, I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau. Take care and rest in peace, Dan.